This is ESPN Radio. Breaking news, a blockbuster trade. Guard James Harden gets what he wants, a trade to the 76ers. Point guard Ben Simmons gets what he wants as well, a one-way ticket out of Philadelphia. The Brooklyn Nets revolve around Kevin Durant. If he didn't want this move to happen, it wouldn't happen. This could potentially, not definitively, but this could potentially go down as the worst day in the career of Daryl Morgan. The worst day. There's a lot of buzz that Nets have won this trade and this and that. It's a cool lineup, but like one guy can't play home games yet. One guy hasn't played in how many months? This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and ESPN Plus. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. I'm Amber Wilson. He's Chris Canty. You can tweet to us at ChrisCanty99, at AmberW790. You can also give us a call on the Canty call-in line, 1-888-SAY-ESPN. That is 888-729-3776. So the NBA stealing a little of the shine from the NFL on Super Bowl week with that blockbuster trade right before the trade deadline. We have been taking calls on it. We want to know who you think won the trade. Is it Brooklyn or is it Philadelphia? Let's turn our attention to Ken. He's in Texas. He's got opinions. Ken, who won the trade? Hey, how y'all doing today? We're good, Ken. Um, So I I believe that Brooklyn won won this trade 100%. And and the reason why I say that is because everywhere that Harden's been, uh, whether it was OKC, Houston, Brooklyn, he he's been surrounded by by really really good players, and he hasn't won a thing. Every time he gets down to to a a final game in, in a in a conference tournament, he he buckles under pressure. So what what makes anybody think that he's going to go and help Embiid? When when a championship in Philly, it, it's going to be the same old Harden, and, and when he doesn't win in Philly, he's going to throw a fit to go somewhere else. Well, I'll like, say this, Ken: if we get the version of James Harden that showed up in Brooklyn initially last year, or we get the version of James Harden from his MVP years down in Houston, then the Philadelphia 76ers are absolutely title contenders. We're not just talking about this team winning a couple of playoff series. We're talking about them being in the Eastern Conference Finals with a chance to go to the NBA Finals. That's how good James Harden is. I think when you look at this deal, the reason why so many analysts say that Brooklyn won is not just what happens in the short term, but potentially what happens long term over the life of the contracts with Ben Simmons and the contract extension that James Harden is going to ask for this summer. I think that Philadelphia absolutely looks at that as a situation where they have a window of two or three seasons to compete at a high level versus Brooklyn's window being much larger because Ben Simmons is in his mid-20s. Amber, I think you said he was 25 years old, and he's already got an all-NBA performance under his belt. So it's a situation where both teams are getting exactly what they want, and in Philly's case, they're getting something for nothing because Ben Simmons was no longer going to play for them. So the fact that Daryl Morey can link up with a player that he's had a lot of success with, a guy that he has full confidence in, I think that's the win for the 76ers. Well, Ben Simmons was no longer going to play for the 76ers, so they get a player who's actually willing to play for them. And and on the other side of things, I mean, James Harden was apparently not very committed to playing for the Brooklyn Nets anymore, so maybe they also get a player committed or more committed to playing for them. And Ben Simmons, that remains to be seen. We got to see Ben Simmons get back on a basketball court at some point here. To that caller's point, 
We have seen, like you said, the MVP James Harden in the past, but we've also seen a very disgruntled James Harden easily. We've also seen this version of James Harden where, yeah, maybe he's disgruntled. Maybe he's starting to lose a step in his game. It's hard to know with him. Is it hamstring tightness? Is he gaining weight? Is it because he's disgruntled? Is he finally actually maybe hitting kind of a tapering off here? I mean, I think James Harden's still in his early 30s. We're talking about a 32-year-old player. But you're absolutely right that the 76ers are doing this because it's a win-now proposition, which is a a win-now proposition in Joel Embiid's prime. We know how Joel Embiid is playing this season. You didn't want to lose out on capitalizing on that this season, and Ben Simmons wasn't helping you get anything done this season. We had Brian Windhorse on with us earlier. He mentioned that things might get ugly here for the 76ers in the future, so if you take that into account, then maybe they were the losers in this trade where they're going to have to extend him and then offer Harden another contract, and if you're talking about it Harden when he's, you know, 37 years old, it might look very different for a player who's going to be being paid a ton of money but right now in the here and now in 2022 this was the time for the 76ers to try to capitalize on what Joel Embiid is doing on that court getting him some more help they didn't have to give up a ton uh, in terms of firepower because they were able to hang on to Maxi and Harris there so I think ultimately both teams win this trade but I can see arguments on both sides for who wins this trade this was ESPN NBA insider Brian Windhorse on why the Sixers couldn't wait to make this move for Harden. Yes, there were options out there to clear salary cap space to sign uh, James Harden. But if you'd have done that one, you might have had to use even more than you traded uh, today. And you would have lost a bite at the apple with James Harden this year. In my view, as each year passes, that contract and that player is going to get less and less valuable. So if you're going to give away all the stuff, you might as well have the player for as many opportunities at the postseason as you can. And that's why this deal made sense. And quite frankly, as long as James Harden didn't want to play for the Nets, the Nets had to do this deal. And that's why I was pretty sure it was going to happen. Not only because that was what I was being told, because when I looked at it, I felt that the two sides ultimately had no choice. They both had to do it. And Amber, that's why I would disagree with what disagree with what Stephen A. Smith had to say about the trade, because in looking at it, now the Philadelphia 76ers have an opportunity for James Harden this season, and then you'll have next year, and then potentially the year after that, while Harden is still relatively close to being in his prime at the height of his powers, to go alongside Joel Embiid. The other wild card in this is not knowing how long Joel Embiid is going to be able to stay healthy. And so while you have him in this window it makes sense to be able to go all in on this. And right now, the only thing that the Sixers are missing is really perimeter shooting, and it's not like they can't find that. It's not like Daryl Morey can't find opportunities in the buyout market in the coming weeks for that. But you got to like the core players that they're rolling out there with. Tyrese Maxey, James Harden, Tobias Harris, Matisse Thibault, and Joel Embiid. I'm pretty sure they can get something done with that. Well, we thought James Harden was going to be able to get something done in the past, and he hasn't been able to get something done in numerous stops. I mean, I keep saying it, but it is amazing to think about that we are talking about a player who I would say is a top five player in the league. Apparently, Stephen A., when he was on with us earlier, made it very clear he doesn't think he's a top five player in the league anymore, a top 10. Uh, That's nuanced, but either way, even if you think he's a top 10 player in the league, it's still unbelievable that we're talking about a guy, a top 10 player in the league, in his prime, getting traded three times, even if that is what he's been asking 
asking for. And, and frankly, that's what he's been forcing to happen. However, you and you mentioned Stephen A's take that Brooklyn absolutely won this trade. I mean, I think on the 76ers side of things, you can say, hey, they got better because the lines when we're talking about the odds, uh, Vegas reacts very quickly. And, and the lines, according to Caesar Sportsbooks here, the Sixers moved from 12 to 1 to 7 and 1 in terms of their odds at making or winning an NBA title, whereas the Nets odds didn't budge. I mean, they're still 4 to 1, so they're still the favorites, but they didn't budge either way. So yeah, I guess you could say then by Vegas that the 76ers markedly improved, and of course they did. Ben Simmons wasn't playing for them. Let's go out to the call-in line here. Tom in Virginia, he doesn't agree with Stephen A. He thinks Philly won this trade. Tom, what's up? Yeah, I think, um, first of all, I want to say uh, hello to uh, Chris Canty. He's one of my favorite Giants. I've been a Giants fan my whole life. and appreciate all he did. Um, appreciate the shout-out, Tom. I, no doubt. Um, however, I do think that uh, 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 Kyrie Irving, I do believe that he is a team killer. I'm not going to lie, there's not one person that he's played with, that even uh, LeBron James, who didn't seem a little uh, – uh, upset with Kyrie and the way that he uh, handles his business. And on top of that, with Ben Simmons gone, now Joel Embiid can really focus, and he has a, a solid number two to help him get to where he needs to go. That's- I mean, people are going to pile on Kyrie. He obviously did win a championship there with LeBron, so there is that. But it will be interesting to see what happens moving forward with the Ben Simmons situation. Obviously, Ben Simmons has had his own issues in terms of inside a locker room, and now he's joining KD and Kyrie. And we know that that situation has certainly been a difficult one this season, and it feels like Kyrie, even though he's not the best player on that court, he's the alpha dog when it comes to that locker room. Who is more vital to the Bengals' offense? Let's talk Super Bowl. The success in the Super Bowl, what do the Bengals need to do? Is it going to be Jamar Chase, or is it going to be Joe Mixon, who's more important for the Cincinnati Bengals? We'll get to that next, but first, Chris, tell us about Wendy's. Right now at Wendy's, see what all the hype is about with their new guaranteed hot and crispy fries. We're talking real, natural cut potatoes, perfectly sprinkled in sea salt, and guaranteed to be hot and crispy down to the very last fry or they'll replace them. These aren't just your typical fries you add to a meal. They're fries worth adding a meal to. Abandon the old, cold, and soggy and head to Wendy's today where your fries are guaranteed to be hot and crispy at participating U.S. Wendy's. This is Amber Wilson and Chris Canney, ESPN Radio. This is ESPN Radio. Trade deadline talk has been consuming us, but Chris, there's still a game on Sunday. We cannot forget about the Super Bowl, and the Super Bowl is the hottest ticket of the year. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats Life Happens Live. So, Chris, this is the angle I want to take on this. Let's talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. And there's a question to be had here. Who is going to be more important to the Bengals in terms of their success? Obviously, we know Joe Burrow. And listen, we know Money Mac's the most important player on that field. Stop it, Amber. Stop it. You're killing me with your Money Mac references. I get that you guys went to the same school. Your first University of Florida alums. I got it all. But kickers aren't football players. They're barely even people. When he wins the Super Bowl with another walk-off, you're going to be singing a different tune. But let's talk instead about Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon. Who's more important here for the Bengals in terms of their success on Sunday? 
Amber, you know what? My position has shifted on this one. If you would have asked me at the beginning of the week, I would have said Jamar Chase undoubtedly. You're not only talking about the offensive rookie of the year, but you could be talking about the best wide receiver in the National Football League, and that's saying a lot given the kind of season that Cooper Cup has put up. And we know that Joe Burrow will look for number one early and often, but the reason why I'm starting to lean toward Joe Mixon now is because in this matchup, in looking at the scheme that the L.A. Rams employ on the defensive side of the ball, they spend 80% of their snaps in nickel or dime personnel. And Amber, as somebody that played over a decade in the National Football League, even though I'm on the defensive side, if a team is lining up with five and six defensive backs on the field, you got to be able to run them out of that. And if you can't, then good luck trying to have some success with productivity in the passing game. It just ain't going to work out for you. No matter what the coverage is that Raheem Morris is scheming up, no matter what they're doing with the passing concepts that Zach Kaler is throwing at the Rams defense, if they can't find a way to be more effective in the run game and get them out of nickel and out of dime personnel, then they're going to struggle in this game, and that front four for the L.A. Rams is going to tee off. Now, I'll say this. Joe Mixon, he's not just any ordinary back. I get that going over 1,000 yards. It seems like that's routine for today's NFL. We got 17 games, so guys being able to rack up and compile stats is nothing new. But Joe Mixon is just one of seven running backs during this season. Let me find it. Just one of seven running backs, Amber, to have over three yards a carry and at least 50 broken tackles uh, this season. So that's a, that's that's a stat that I couldn't believe when I saw it. Like Joe Mixon is a BYOB. He's bring your own blocker when it comes to making guys miss or running guys over. And so the fact that you have somebody that's capable of doing some damage once they get to the second and third levels of that defense, I think that could be the X factor for that Cincinnati Bengals offense. And then being able to provide some balance between the run-pass ratio is something that can kind of mitigate the strength of that L.A. Rams defense and mitigate the weakness of that Bengals offense, which is that offensive line. Well, Chris Canty, you played in the league for over a decade, and you have a Super Bowl. But let me tell you why you're wrong about Mm. football. No, it's funny because you actually switched positions from yesterday. Because I remember we were having this conversation yesterday. I was actually trying to convince you how important the run might be for the Bengals, and you were telling me that it's going to come down to the pass game. But – I guess if I'm playing devil's advocate for the Joe Mixon uh, position here, because I, and I do think that the run could be important and, and you might try to evade some of that pressure by running it down their throats, but he is only averaging 3.7 yards per carry in the postseason. I mean, mm-hmm. his numbers don't look as good in the postseason um, when you pull his stats. Now, given he's been more valuable on film and, and you mentioned all those broken tackles, I mean, yep. that dude can absolutely run. The, I guess the argument there would would be that, you know, there's a thing called Aaron Donald that he's going to be up against. And it's going to be interesting, I think, how the Rams are going to use Donald because I think they're going to be able to move him around into a bunch of defensive formations and they're going to create a bunch of different pass rush type of opportunities. We know that it's going to be hard, though, in terms of the pass as well. So if we're talking about Jamar Chase, you know, there's also a dude on the other side called Jalen Ramsey. Like, both of these guys have their work cut out for them in terms of Joe Mixon and Jamar Chase. But if I'm making 
taking the Jamar Chase argument, what I will say is that Joe Burrow, of course, is incredible at evading pressure. We know that he's really, really good against the blitz. I mean, sure, Matt Stafford is as well, but we know that's one of Joe Burrow's strengths. And will he be able to evade that pressure? Even though we're talking about the most athletic D-line in the league, will he be able to evade that pressure and get that ball out? Will he have time to do it? If so, we know Jamar Chase is going to be a cornerstone of his game. No doubt about it. And it'll be interesting to see what the L.A. Rams do in terms of being able to generate pressure. I know that they have a front four that features Von Miller and Aaron Donald, and both of those guys are tied for the most pressures throughout the course of this postseason. But Raheem Morris also likes to bring pressure in a lot of different ways. They have some simulated pressure looks, but they also like to blitz. And when you start talking about these quarterbacks, both Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford, they're both surgical when it comes to blitz. Joe Burrow has the seventh-best QBR against the blitz, and Matt Stafford is tops in the NFL against the blitz. So if Raheem Morris is true to form, based on what we've seen this Rams defense do over the course of the season and in the playoffs, then there could be opportunities for big plays in the passing game, catch-and-run opportunities for those Bengals receivers. So it would be interesting to see that chess match early between Raheem Morris and Zach Taylor as far as the scheme and how they're going to try to attack one another. But Joe Burrow is as cool as they come. There's a reason why this guy has still been able to be one of the most accurate passers, the highest completion percentage in the NFL, despite being the most sacked quarterback in the National Football League. He has an uncanny ability to be able to flush the bad plays and move on to the next play. And I think that level of, you know, calm, that level of cool, uh, despite, you know, what kind of adversity they might face with in the way of negative plays, I think that permeates throughout the entire offense. And that allows that unit to operate with a level of confidence that you usually don't see with an outfit this young. We know that D-line against that Bengals O-line should be ugly for the Bengals, but there's so many other moving parts. We said that about the Chiefs, though, too. We said that about the Chiefs with Chris Jones, and they only sacked Joe Burrow one time. So I get it. We're talking about Aaron Donald, which is a step up in class. I get it. We're talking about Von Miller, which is a step up in class from Frank Clark. But you are talking about a blitz-heavy Kansas City Chiefs team. And Joe Burrow was able to find ways to elude the pressure and manipulate the pocket. So it'll be interesting to see how Joe Burrow handles that early pressure from the Rams because I think that can go a long ways to determining what the complexion of this game is actually going to be. You are absolutely right. That line has faced some nasty pass rushes this season and in the postseason, but not Aaron Donald in the Super Bowl, right? That's, <laughs> that's maybe another level. Coming up. Which Rams wideout will have a bigger impact on the Super Bowl, Cooper Cup or OBJ? We'll ask a Hall of Fame wide receiver that very question next. But first, Chris, tell us about eBay. All right. Vivid Seats right now. <laughs> I threw you off there. I you, threw threw you. Off with, you threw me off with the eBay. You threw me off with the eBay. I'll tell you what. We're going to go to break right now, and we'll come back. We'll get, this we'll is get Amber next. Wilson and Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. This is ESPN Radio. This is ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Canty. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. We turn our attention to the guest line where we find pro football fame or Hall of Famer wide receiver from the Rams, Isaac Bruce. And Isaac, first, thanks so much for joining us. I'm going to ask you about these 2022 Rams in just a second, but I want to start with one of your teammates because Torrey Holt is up for the Hall of Fame. Tell us why Torrey Holt should be a Hall of Famer. 
Well, thanks for having me on tonight. Um, I was sitting here kind of thinking how Pat Riley didn't pull off that James Harden move down to the Miami Heat. But um, sad about that too, you know, Isaac. You know, talking about Tory Hope, man. I mean, he's just been the consummate pro uh, since we drafted him back in 1999 out of, out of uh, NC State. Uh, on and off the field, man, he's done everything in the, and above what you've asked him to do. Um, but particularly on the football field, man, we're talking about a guy who was very productive. Uh, fruitful in his approach. Uh, the only guy to ever have uh, six consecutive 1,300 yards receiving seasons uh, playing in the in the type of defenses we're playing against. So uh, most definitely he's a Hall of Famer in my eyes. And, uh, I think tonight would be the night where uh, we announce it to the world. Now, Isaac, you were a part of one of the most prolific offenses, the greatest show on turf, but I want to bring it back to modern times with what we're seeing from this Rams team. And, of course, Matt Stafford is the trigger man for this offense, but there are two pretty dynamic wide receivers in this core with Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham Jr. What have you seen from those guys throughout the course of the season and in the playoffs that makes them so special? Well, 5-2. They're 5-2 wide receivers, man. They do everything that you ask them to do. Uh, you know, particularly uh, Cooper Cup. I mean, he's been uh, just the uh, the catalyst of that offense all season long. I mean, defenses know he's getting the ball, particularly on third down, third long, third short, and they're trying to take him out of the game, but they've, they've just been unsuccessful. And I think the attention that he's getting, uh, coupled with, you know, OBJ coming to town, he's, he's reinventing himself. Uh, he's reintroducing himself to the league about who he was when he was with the Giants. And just being able to uh, take advantage of those one-on-one opportunities that he's getting on the perimeter, stretching it down the field and making big plays. Pro Football Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce on with us. So, Isaac, talking about Cooper Cup. Now, Chris and I were having a conversation earlier in the show about the NFL MVP award, and it looks like it's going to be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. But Cooper Cup is part of that Mm -hmm. conversation. Do you feel like he's getting robbed in that sense? Should we be giving more credit to the wide receivers? I mean, you're talking to a wide receiver, indeed. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm um, setting you up it's for it. So, it's, yeah, it's so easy for quarterbacks to get these awards. Um, you know, even the Super Bowl MVP, you know, they should make separate awards, I feel, uh, for the quarterbacks alone and then everyone else. You know, we could be the offensive MVPs and just the MVP of the league from that standpoint. But when you have a prolific uh, season like Cooper Cup has had and is having, man, without a doubt, offensive player of the year, I mean, he's done so many things. And like I said, the challenges that he faced week in and week out and the level of consistency that he's held, absolutely. He should be the, you know, the the OPOY. Talking with Pro Football Hall of Fame wide receiver Isaac Bruce on ESPN Radio. And, Isaac, I know that you're rooting for your Rams to win the Super Bowl, but with this next question, I want you to be as objective as you possibly can. The Cincinnati Bengals have a pretty – pretty doggone good wide receiver in his own right in Jamar Chase. And it's been a long time since the league has seen a guy like him step into that wide receiver position and have that level of productivity. I wanted to ask you from your perspective, just how good can Jamar Chase be? Oh, man, there's no ceiling for that kid, man. He's uh, he's a dominant football player. You know, let's take it back all the way to his college, his last college season in the, in the, the toughest you know, a uh, conference in college football and, you know, a conference that's known for, for spitting out defensive players at the corner position, linebacker position, and the safety position. He dominated. And uh, for, this, for this guy to come into this league and have the success that he's having 
uh, in the AFC North uh, that's known for playing great defense. Um, it's, it's just it's just phenomenal. I think he's uh, you know I mentioned he's that five two guy that can do everything. He's a football player that just so happens to be a wide receiver, and he's special. He'll run away from you. He can catch the short ones and, and turn them into home runs. Uh, he's a threat. Uh, not only that, he can you know take the reverse or maybe take a handoff out of the backfield. He's just that that big threat on that, on that entire team. So when you have him and add Tyler Boyd and and, and Wiggins uh, to that mix, man, they're dangerous, man. So by all means, me being a homer for the for the Rams, I, I feel like that uh, you know the Bengals will be a formidable opponent in this game. Isaac Bruce joining us on behalf of Smush Cookies. Uh, before I ask you about the cookies, we're going to get to that in a second. You said <laughs> that the quarterbacks get maybe too much attention in terms of the MVP award. I am going to ask you about a quarterback, though, because Matthew Stafford obviously brought over mm-hmm. as a vet out of a bad situation in Detroit. It's gone according to plan so far. He's had some inconsistencies, though, this season. What has been yeah. your impression of watching Matthew Stafford this season play for your Rams? Well, you're talking about the, the number one overall pick in the draft uh, to Detroit. So um, normally guys like that, from a, from a mental standpoint, you expect them to, number one, be your leader on the team. Did we lose Isaac? I think we might have lost Isaac Bruce. Unfortunately, we lost Isaac Bruce, but we lost him when he was talking about a quarterback, Chris. So that's kind of poetic because he said that the quarterbacks get too much attention. These wide receivers need to get more attention. And frankly, he makes a good, pretty good case for it. We were talking about the MVP award. I can see a world where we need to now give the MVP, make a separate award for quarterbacks. Let's start giving some respect to the Jonathan Taylors and the Cooper Cups of the world. Uh, No doubt about it, especially with the, the seasons that those two guys were able to put up. But Amber, you're not going to get any pushback from me when it comes to trying to slight quarterbacks because I spent the better part of my career hunting those guys down. So I ain't got a whole lot of nice things to say about them. But I can tell you when I recognize that some of those guys are built differently. And in this matchup, I think we're talking about two of those guys in Matt Stafford and all that he's been able to persevere throughout his years in Detroit and now coming over and having success in the postseason with the Rams. And then Joe Burrow a year removed from being cut in half by Chase Young and having that ACL injury, you're talking about him putting a team that won two games two seasons ago in the Super Bowl. So both special in their own right. Yeah, both have their own unique paths uh, in terms of getting here. And certainly not the matchup I think anybody expected, although the Rams, it's gone more according to plan, right? Like Matt Stafford was supposed to be in this position. That's why you bring him in if you're the Los Angeles Rams. Joe Burrow has been exceeding expectations this early in his career, even though he was a number one pick and we saw him have arguably the greatest college football season ever, although I'm giving that to Tim Tebow, but I digress. (laughs) Snoop Dogg, Chris, he acquired death row records. We, we, we pivot next. We have to discuss that, okay? That's next. This is ESPN Radio, Amber Wilson and Chris Canty. But hold up, Amber. Before we go to break, I got to tell you about eBay. Please. When a part of your offense isn't firing on all cylinders, it shows. Maybe it's a drop ball. Maybe you just can't work your way down the field. When this happens, the only solution is to replace the part with something better. It's the same with your car, but unlike in sports, a new batch of carports can't be drafted every year. That's why eBay Motors exists. They have all the right parts at the right prices. In fact, eBay Motors has 122 million parts. That's a lot of parts. That way, you can get the parts you need to make your car a winner. eBayMotors.com. Let's ride. ESPN Radio back after this. 
Dr. George F. Brandt was not looking to make history when he invented the golf tee. The Harvard grad and prominent dentist was simply trying to make a hard game a little less frustrating for his golfing buddies in Boston. Before the tee, golfers had to carry buckets of dirt from hole to hole and build small mounds to place their golf balls. You probably had no idea that his invention would change golf forever. ESPN Radio celebrates Black History Always. This is ESPN Radio. Breaking news on this NBA trade deadline day. A monster deal shakes up the Eastern Conference. The Nets traded James Harden to the 76ers for Ben Simmons. As soon as James Harden decided he was going into Houston Harden mode, the Nets had no choice. But it really came down to what the asking price was. How in God's name could you give up Ben Simmons to a team within your division who was already better in most people's eyes than you to begin with? Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. And Amber, it's been a jam-packed show. I I mean, we had the blockbuster trade between the Sixers and the Nets. And then, of course, strong opinions across the board. We've had wall-to-wall guests. And we got to give them a shout-out for coming through on our show. And New York Daily News News, Nets reporter Christian Winfield giving us that side of the trade. ESPN NBA insider Brian Windhorst, obviously breaking it down. We had to give him his flowers because he's the one that called that trade actually happened this week. Of course, Debo Samuels, all-pro 49ers wide receiver. ESPN sports betting analyst Aaron Dolan. Of course, first take host Stephen A. Smith. Las Vegas Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end Max Crosby and Pro Football Hall of Fame wide receiver Isaac Bruce. If you missed any of it, Go to the ESPN Radio podcast, download, subscribe, and rate it. We greatly appreciate it. But, Amber, we have now reached the portion of our show where it's time for us to go three and out. Sometimes it's the worst. Worst. Sometimes it's the best. Best. Either way, we'll get you straight with everything you need to know. This is three and out. And three and out is brought to you by Indeed. Hiring without a hassle. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. And Amber, there's only one place to start today. It's the NBA trade deadline news. And no, we're not going to talk about Brooklyn and Philly. We're going to talk about the teams that sat on their hands. And first, starting with my Los Angeles Lakers. Pretty unbelievable after that loss to the Portland Trailblazers last night. A loss that saw Anthony Davis take only 11 shots. A loss where LeBron James dropped 37 points but decided that he wasn't going to play any defense. Losing to a Blazers team without C.J. McCollum, a Blazers team without Damian Lillard. And then postgame, LeBron James saying, yeah, this was a tough one. Right now I'm tired as hell and all I want to do is get into bed with a glass of wine. Not necessarily something that we've heard LeBron say in the past. Clearly dejected, talking about the team being in the fog and trying to see their way through it. Amber, I got to say, as a Lakers fan, with this roster as constituted, there's no way that they're going to see themselves to the other side of this adversity. This is a bad basketball team, and they're going nowhere fast. I'm glad LeBron drinks wine in bed. Uh, he's athletes. They're just like us. You know, they're just normal <laughs> people. But, yeah, this is obviously, I think, a result of the fact that there ain't no trade to be had here. Nobody's trying to pick up that Russell Westbrook contract. Nobody's trying to pay him $47 million next year 
considering what he was able to produce thus far in L.A. And we knew this was going to be a problem for the Lakers. And what other pieces were they were going to move that was really going to amount to any sort of real value or real change here, Chris? They are strung right now to that Westbrook contract. And it looks real ugly because I think it was Stephen A. who said that he's never seen a superstar like this decline this quickly at this point. And he brought in, we still thought that he had something left in the tank. And all of a sudden overnight, it feels like he's got a whole lot of nothing left in the tank. And he's getting benched and he's not even out there. And it's unbelievable. And then you see how LeBron and AD are reacting in real time. You mentioned the loss last night against the Blazers. I don't know if LeBron and AD are trying to force their way out like a James Harden. But they were not giving you max effort by any means in that Blazers game. It's an ugly situation in Los Angeles. I didn't think it was going to be able to be fixed at the trade deadline. And we're learning that it can't be fixed, at least not this season. No, it's not going to get fixed this season. And we're talking about the Lakers being a play-in team. And right now, the ninth team in the Western Conference standings, they're right in front of the Clippers, who haven't had Paul George for a month and haven't seen Kawhi Leonard play all season. And right in front of the New Orleans Pelicans, a team that doesn't know when they're going to get their superstar Zion Williamson back and essentially in rebuild mode. That is the state of affairs for the Lakers. But, Amber, you said there wasn't a trade to be made for the Los Angeles Lakers with Russell Westbrook. I will counter that with the New York Knicks not making a deal for Russell Westbrook. I I don't understand what the Knicks are doing. They're a team that seems like they're hustling backwards too. It felt like there was some momentum building toward the Knicks packaging, Evan Fournier, and potentially Alec Burks to send out to the Lakers for Russell Westbrook and a 2027 first-round draft pick that would be top five protected. The fact that that didn't happen, it just leads me to believe that the New York Knicks are kind of going to be one of those teams that are on the treadmill of mediocrity for the rest of the season, and I don't know how they see themselves to the other side of it as well. Julius Randle has certainly regressed from the all-NBA season that he put together last year. And now you're talking about a Knicks team that doesn't necessarily have a clear direction in terms of what they're building toward. The only bright spot that I would say they have is R.J. Barrett. But R.J. Barrett needs a point guard to continue to help set him up and put him in positions to win. And right now, they don't have that. They tried to explore Jalen Brunson from the Dallas Mavericks. That didn't materialize. So I'm I'm trying to struggle I'm struggling with understanding why Leon Rose and Tom Thibodeau weren't able to figure out how to make a deal. This is a bad look for the Knicks. Well, I don't know if it's that easy. I mean, I know New York Knicks fans want to get rid of, you know, if get rid of Fournier and get rid of Kemba Walker and get rid of books and get get rid of Noel and get rid of these guys. Like, you can just get rid and, like, anyone's going to necessarily take them. I mean, I think what we've learned is they could not get rid of Kemba Walker. And I think that you're seeing that with some of these other guys. I know Fournier still has, obviously, he's contributing. He's locked into a long-term deal, though, so that makes him a bit different than those other guys that we just mentioned. I'm not shocked the Knicks couldn't get anything done. There's got to be a market for it out there you can't just necessarily get rid of pieces and expect to necessarily get anything in return even if they had moved Fournier they would have just gotten that same type of player in return Chris frankly well apparently you you can get rid of record labels and then reacquire them because that's essentially what Snoop Dogg did we got to go out to the west coast and shout out to Snoop Dogg for buying back the Def Rope brand from Blackstone Shout out for the boss move for Snoop Dogg being able to pull that off, the iconic record label. Obviously, a lot of affinity toward that, and that was the label that made him a platinum recording artist. So shout out to Snoop Dogg. Can't wait to see the halftime show. Also, shout out to Spain and Fitz. They got you covered next 